Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on DuckStream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. Thank you for tuning in for episode 72, wherever you are listening from. And happy Friday. We've made it to the end of the week, and we still have one more Ducks game, number four of the week. There's been a game every other day. I'm a little bit tired, but, you know, always happy to have the Ducks here at Honda Center. And I know I mentioned it in Thursday's episode, but I am still just so excited to have a team dog, Miss Daisy Duck. I've always been a fan of NHL teams having a team dog, and the fact that now the Ducks do could not be happier about it, and I cannot wait to have her in the studio with me. So looking at Thursday night's game for Anaheim, they felt 3-2 to to the Winnipeg Jets in their final meeting for the season. And it was a slow game for the team in parts, but they did bounce back in the third period pretty nicely. A couple of things to get to in today's AD's takeaways, so let's get to it. Cam Fowler hit a career milestone last night with his goal in the game. It was his 10th goal of the season, and he now has 43 points this season which is a career-high single-season best for him. Congratulations to Cam. What an accomplishment. And the previous number was 42 points, and it was from last season when he had nine goals and 33 assists. Now, he's closing in also on his goal mark this year, which his high is 11 goals, and he's at 10 right now. And we spoke with head coach Dallas Aikens and Kevin Shattenkirk after the game on what Fowler has meant to this group, especially through the season that we've seen. Take a listen. He's been unbelievable. And, um, and and it's really interesting when you think about Cam's year. Like, he, uh, I'm super proud of him. Uh, I hope that he's proud of himself to have a, a, a career year in, in a year like this. Um, you know, especially for a guy, like, points-wise, uh, he had a rough start. I think he had one point in his first 15 games. And, and he's been able to turn it on and... and uh, have a career year in, in the point department. So um, he, he does a lot of things for us, and especially now. Uh, he he um, carries a lot of ice time. He's a leader in our dressing room. Um, he basically does it all. So uh, we're, we're real, uh, real proud of, uh, of Cam. You know, I think, and you even look at our power play struggles this year, um, you know, there's probably a few more lost points there that he could have. Um, but I think it's been tremendous. He's been, he's been the leader on the back end for sure. Um, he takes a lot of pride in his game in the defensive zone and, and obviously knows what his role is as an offensive defenseman. So um, it's been great to see. It's, it's, you know, he's someone who I kind of grew up you know, with in the league and, and someone who I watched play and became great friends with along the way. And um, you know, I love when uh, you kind of can't, count the old dogs out you know they keep keep breaking their marks and and uh just super happy for them and the ducks did go one for two on the power play in this game and they had 15 blocked shots and they really showed some intensity throughout it it was a nice bounce back game overall and i think some of that was because of the physical play that was met throughout the game the jets did get a bit physical with the ducks but the team kept up the pace 
Now, the second period was slow, I will say, and the team only had two shots through the first eight minutes. But like I said, they did pick it up and they kept the game within distance, especially against a competitive Jets team that needed to win that game on Thursday night. The second power play unit continues to excel for the second game in a row. Frank Vetrano netted a goal on that. He netted one in Tuesday's game against Calgary. So good to see him getting back-to-back games with goals, this time coming in the third period. There was also a play in the third period that stood out to me, and I want to talk about it. Around the five-minute mark left in the game, the Jets were on a power play, and Simon Benoit made a great physical play on the boards with Blake Wheeler going down. He was able to get the puck out of the zone off the play, and I just thought, It was a really smart move by Benoit and just showing some of his growth this season. And it prevented any chances that the Jets would have got in that moment on the power play. Also in the net, Lukas Dostal stopped 30 shots on 33 that were made on net, just continuing to get more experience at the NHL level and certainly helps when you're playing a team that is going to be in the playoffs very likely this year. So very competitive game for him to be a part of. Also, one more guy that I'd like to mention from Thursday night, Nikita Nestorenko playing in his second NHL game with the Anaheim Ducks, and he spent about the same amount of time on the ice, and I think you could see his continued presence in the game, finishing his checks, making great plays, and using his speed as well. So great to see for Nikita. Just a lot of growth, I think, from this game, even though it was not the outcome that the Ducks wanted to have. Let's take a look now at the NHL as a whole from Thursday night and go coast to coast with goal calls from around the league, beginning with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Florida Panthers game in sunrise on Thursday night. The Maple Leafs taking the 6-2 win over the Panthers and Austin Matthews opened up the scoring about five minutes into the game off a pass from Mitch Marner. He would go on to have his 33rd and 34th goals of the season as a part of the team's win. The regulation loss, though, for the Panthers officially clinched a playoff spot for the Hurricanes. Now, this is the fifth straight season that Carolina will be going to the playoffs. But Joe Bowen has the call of Matthews' goal to open up the game. Almost five minutes into this first period. Reeling it in, Matthews on his backhand, brings it to the forehand, goes cross ice with speed, lifted up and into the windows. It is... Matthews again, a long shot, scores! From distance, Austin Matthews puts the Leafs on the board early in the Sunshine State. Next up, it was a high-scoring affair when Vancouver beat the San Jose Sharks 7-2 on Thursday. And Andre Kuzmenko netted his 35th goal of the season in the first period. His goal officially set the Canucks record for most goals scored in their first NHL season. It's been a great year for Kuzmenko. And now seven different Canucks players scored to get on the board as a part of this game, with 12 total players having points. The Canucks are 8-2 in their last 10 games, and they still sit outside the playoff picture. Listen to the call of the goal from Brendan Batchelor. Ethan Bear ahead to Elias Patterson, leveling for Beauvillier. Back to Patterson, cut into the Sharks' goal, into the slot for Kuzmenko to the backhand. He scores! A 
spectacular backhand goal from Andre Kuzmenko. His 35th of the season off the setup from Pedersen gives the Canucks a 2-0 lead. And the magic is back between Elias Pedersen and Andre Kuzmenko. A great job by Pedersen to enter the zone, gets a, a pass back, and looks for Kuzmenko, who's in the middle of the ice, doesn't have the shot on the forehand. There's a, a San Jose Shark in the, his way, so he goes backhand and beats Reimer who was really lost in the crease as the Canucks go left to right and then Kuzmenko with some dirty dangles to finish off that goal. The Ottawa Senators took a 7-2 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning on Thursday. Another team who scored a lot of goals and they've been kind of inconsistent as of late. So this was a bit of a surprising win in my eyes. Only five points back, though, of that second wild card spot. So it's been close in the East. Taking a look at that, the New York Islanders holding the first spot on the wild card with 82 points right now. Pittsburgh Penguins at number two with 80 points. So just a short margin apart. And then close behind them, the Florida Panthers with 79 points. The Washington Capitals with 76 points. And then the Ottawa Senators with 75 now, there was a great stretch pass from Eric Brandstrom to Alex Debrinkit, who took it into the zone, and he did a stop in this cool little spin move, then shot it past Brian Elliott in the net for Tampa Bay. Debrinkit had two goals, both of them coming in the first period, and this was a part of that second goal. The team just laid it on after that, going two for three on the power play with four unanswered goals in the third period for Ottawa. Dean Brown has the call of Debrinket's goal. Long lead pass is Debrinket again, busting in, puts the shoulder down, turns, fires, scores! Oh, that's two scratches on the post for the cat. Meow, meow. And it's 2-0 Ottawa. 22-23 and 23 on the season for Alex Debrinket. As he fins off the check of Zach Bogosian, spins and separates. And I have commented time and time again about how much his shooting percentage has dropped from a year ago. 6%, basically worth about 14 goals. Well, he is as accurate and pinpoint accurate as can be here. Two for two in his last two shots, both off the inside of the post, glove hand side on Brian Elliott. What a shot and play that was from Alex Debrinkit to give Ottawa a 2-0 lead. And the last one for today, the Vegas Golden Knights taking a 3-2 win over the Calgary Flames. And Vegas goaltender Logan Thompson sustained a lower body injury in this game but he did make 37 saves prior to leaving the game. Not a good sign for the Golden Knights, but they certainly have some goalie depth right now as they picked up Jonathan Quick at the trade deadline. So I think that they will be okay. Nicholas Waugh netted the third goal of the game after Calgary had a turnover in their zone. And Vegas continues to lead the West right now with 96 points as they have for the majority of this season. They're also 8-2 and two in their last 10 games and have won each of their games this week. Hear the call of the goal by Dan Duva. Calgary has the puck. Anderson, hounded by Waugh. Stevenson steals it. Close quarters. Kessels with Waugh. Waugh goes out in front. He scores! What a play! Stevenson to Kessel to Waugh. 3-1 Vegas. That is one of the prettier goals we've seen all month. The steal, two quick quarters passes, and the finish from Waugh. Back in the score sheet, having not played 
since all the way back on February 21st in Chicago. 30 days between games for Nick Waugh, and he delivers the insurance goal the Knights have needed. Nick has put up 12 on the year and 26 points. Fantastic job from Kessel in his own zone, and we, Chandler Stevenson, that's three good shifts in a row. A scoring chance, another scoring chance, and there, off, off the wall, makes the pass. Really good work by Kessel, and Nick Waugh, we know he's nifty in tight. He beats Markstrom cold. Has Vegas found a third line? My goodness. Now ahead of the Saturday night game with the Ducks hosting the St. Louis Blues as a part of their third and final meeting this season, Alexa Dat joins the show today. Alexa discusses the changes the season has brought for the St. Louis organization, as well as the disappointment that the franchise has seen. We also talk a little baseball ahead of opening day. Take a listen. We welcome on to Light the Lamp now, Bally Sports Midwest host and reporter Alexa Dat. Alexa, thank you so much for being with us today. How's your week been going? Yeah, it's been going well. Covered a home and home with the Blues and the Detroit Red Wings. So that was adventurous as the Blues season <laughs> winds down. But we're also gearing up for baseball. So it's kind of a situation where we're a little bit bummed about what's been happening with the Blues. Um, understandable, though. And, uh, and then also getting really excited for what's to come for the Cardinals. So a lot going on. Well, the Blues are out of the playoff race at this point. And I'm curious to know from your perspective what the season has been like for this team. Because I know it is only your second season in St. Louis. Yeah, it's been an interesting one because there were high expectations coming into this year. Obviously, a team with 109 points the previous year had a lot of anticipations of returning to the postseason. And I think it was a lot of disappointment, a lot of confusion. You know, when you sign Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas to lucrative extensions for, you know, almost a decade, their future here is locked in. And so you're excited about that. Then you're also a little bit confused as to why the team struggled to gel throughout the season. You know, the head coach, Craig Berube, said several times that, he wasn't really sure what the identity of the team was. He felt like they lost it a couple of times mm -hmm. um, throughout the year or they wouldn't start a period strong. And he was kind of confused about that. And he would, you know, call guys out, not specifically by name, but say, you know who you are in that locker room. And then I think there was also this looming idea that, you know, we've got several unrestricted free agents on this team. The trade deadline is nearing and you knew that the GM, Doug Armstrong, had a decision to make if for some reason the Blues weren't in the playoff picture at that time. And that's what ended up happening. Blues were on the outside looking in. You trade away not only your captain, but a guy that you drafted, you know, almost a decade ago and Vladimir Tarasenko and Ivan Barbashev also leaves. So then you start realizing, you know, what the identity of this team is going to be. And it's really more looking towards the future. So I think overall for the season, it was kind of one where there were such high expectations for the Blues and they weren't met. So obviously that was disappointing. But now it's what can the guys who have come here, you know, via trade do for this organization? And it's more of a tryout, really, to see mm -hmm. where they fit in. in the future. Do you feel that the team is still growing through some of those pains in these final couple weeks? I wouldn't say growing through pains necessarily, because I do feel like they have so much in this you know, 
franchise and on this team right now that it's not like they're a rebuilding mm-hmm. team that they so many pieces in order to get back into that playoff picture. They're really a, a guy or two away, maybe a, you know, a defenseman or, you know, a winger away from really returning to where they were. So it, it's a situation where they're going to have a lot of draft pieces and they're going to be able to make some moves with some cap space this off season and really just retool to be able to figure out how this team gets back to where they are. And they're not that far away. Their goaltending situation, they're in a really good space there. And they do have veteran leadership and several of the guys that they brought in via trade who maybe didn't get the playing time that they wanted in their previous organization are getting that ice time with the Blues and they're thriving. Guys like Jacob Verana, Sammy Blay, who's back with the Blues, mm-hmm. uh, Gasperi Kapitan. So you're seeing guys who you know, have wanted to have that success in their career, now doing it with St. Louis. With all the changes that did happen at the deadline and with the new guys on the team, how has the leadership kind of shifted on the in the group? Yeah, it's been a pretty big shift, mm-hmm. which has been interesting to see. Ryan O'Reilly obviously has been the captain and he has a very, you know, set way of how he believes the St. Louis Blues uh, play their hockey. And everyone rallied around that because O'Reilly was a, you know, first in last out kind of a guy, just Mm -hmm. a really hard worker, nose to the grindstone. And he set an example for the rest of his teammates. Once the captain leaves, it's kind of up in the air as to kind of who takes on that leadership role. But you have seen a little bit of the guys who have these guaranteed long-term contracts that, you know, Robert Thomas's and Jordan Kyra's step up and say, okay, well, we learned, you know, the the blueprint for blues hockey from Ryan O'Reilly and from this organization that's been passed down to us. And we know we're going to be here long term. So it is up to us to step up in these situations and, you know, really show some of these newcomers how we play hockey here, what our style of play is. And I think you've seen a little bit of that. And you've seen some leadership from your goaltending too. Jordan Bennington has come in and, you know, it's also, you know, on him to teach Joel Hofer the ways who is a rookie goaltender who's kind of, you know, who's had success, but he's Mm -hmm. still finding his way. So I think that there's um, a bit of a shift in terms of going from one guy to now several guys who are taking on that role, but it's worked pretty well because it's not like there are a bunch of egos competing for it. Everyone's really gelling um, so far and you can see it on the ice. Mm -hmm. Jordan Cairo is leading the team in points right now, and he had a strong season last year. So following following it up pretty well this year as well. What has he done to continue that success on the ice? It's interesting. Jordan Cairo signed that big extension in the offseason, and he started off with not a great year. And I think everyone was scratching their heads thinking, we just gave this guy a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Why isn't he showing exactly the type of player that we think that he can be, especially early on. And then it was like, all right, everyone take a breath. Let's give him some room. Let's give him some time to grow because he's still so young, right? He's in his young Mm twenties and then he flourished. Once he was given a little bit of room, a little bit of time, here comes the Jordan Cairo that we all know with that elite speed, that North South style of hockey that we know he's capable of playing. And, you know, there is an interesting relationship with him and the coach, Craig Berube, where he's basically still kind of teaching him a lot of the things that he needs to learn, which is really just, you know, exploiting his own skill. Um, He does have that elite speed and his stick handling is so strong. He has that ability to score and and really at at a lightning pace. So 
for Cairo, a couple of things he's done really well. One, he's performed so well on the road. Uh, I think he has like 20 goals on the road so far this season. It's like sixth best in the NHL. And so for me, when he is away and he feels that pressure of, you know, the uh, opposing fans and, you know, maybe not being so familiar with the building, something for him clicks and he says, all right, this is my time to go. Uh, he's also been really strong on special teams. He's uh, been really great on the power play. And that's something I think that has helped him step into a leadership role as well, you know, helping uh, quarterback power play and saying, all right, listen, guys, this is how we play on this unit as well. And, and another way for him to show the newcomers blue style of hockey. Now, recently in the team's game against the Minnesota Wild, there were a lot of tensions that flared and Jordan Bennington and Marc-Andre Fleury almost got into a fight on the ice. You know, from your perspective, what was watching that and some of the fallout after that like? It's interesting because I think maybe the organization would prefer Jordan Bennington not be so outwardly emotional. Mm -hmm. And I think the fans love it. Mm -hmm. So from a fan perspective, because I am also a fan of the game, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I just, I'm a, 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 a Jordan Bennington stan. His antics to me are exactly what hockey should be. You know, with the water bottle, with Nazem Kadri in the playoffs last year. It, it's just, it's entertaining. Mm -hmm. And I think that sports, you know, has an element of entertainment. And we have to remember that it's all part of it. But, you know, you also want to make sure that the franchise is sending, you know, the correct message and, and the players are exemplifying that message on the ice as well. So I think it's a little bit of, um, you know, he, he gets a lot of love from the fans for how he acts. And then the franchise is like, all right, well, why don't we just kind of, you know, settle down a bit because he is such an emotional player. But that emotion, when it does come across, it's just love for his team. You know, he's mm -hmm. standing up for his guys, he's standing up for what he believes in, his passion, because that's what it is, the game of hockey. Um, and it, it's very hard to tame that from a guy who is as passionate as Jordan Bennington. So uh, I always think it's really entertaining, especially with a rival like the Wild. And, um, you know, you got Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been in the league forever. I mean, he's obviously a legend. So mm -hmm. Jordan Bennington standing up to him, I, I thought was was really fun, too. And like, who doesn't want to see goalies fight? Like, right. I, I don't know. <laughs> Me, I'm like, bring it on. Let's go. But uh, obviously the Blues feel a little different. <laughs> who is someone else on the roster that you feel has stepped up this season? I think Pavel Buchnevich has done a really great job of coming into his own, especially mm -hmm. the second. I think a lot of the players that he is so used to playing with obviously were traded away. And he basically made the decision to say, I can take this extra ice time that I've been given. I can take this leadership role and I can run with it. And that's what he did. And so for him, it's scoring more. You know, it's it's, you know, making sure he finishes his checks. Um, and it is taking a bit of a leadership role as well in that locker room. So he's really putting together all of these elements and, you know, coming through in a way that I don't think many people expected from Buchnevich. And I think that's what made it so wonderful. Um, just watching him recently, his style of play, he's just really taken it and run with it to a level that I think a lot of people haven't really expected. I mean, since February 11th, he leads the team, or at least he's tied with Kyrou with eight goals. Now, if you were to tell or ask anyone that previous to February 11th, who would be that that guy? Uh, I don't think many people would have said Buchnevich. So that's why I say unexpected. Mm -hmm. um, and especially being tied with Jordan Cairo, who's such a an elite goal scorer. It just goes to show that he's really fulfilling his potential in that in that spot. 
St. Louis already hosted Anaheim earlier this season back in November, but obviously there's been a lot of changes since then. So what are you expecting to see from the matchup on Saturday night? The main thing for the Blues is to figure out who goes where for next season. So it's a bit of an audition period right now. The general manager, Doug Armstrong, is figuring out, does he have his top nine going into next year, or does he need to add some pieces, and where exactly do those pieces need to come from? So right now, Craig Berube is mixing up the lines like none other. Every given night, we got different guys, you know, starting on that that top line, and figuring that out is something that's really important for the organization right now. But I do think Whoever ends up on the fourth line, last night, Torbchenko, Walker, Pitlick, will end up getting more ice time. And that's really important for Baruby too, seeing some of these younger guys flourish and, you know, given more ice time, what do they do with it? So that's something that um, you're definitely going to see this weekend, not only in Anaheim, but in L.A. and just moving forward for the mm-hmm. rest of the season. And then you're also going to see some interesting situations with the goaltender, whether it's Joel Hofer, Jordan Bennington, or Thomas Grice in net got three great goaltenders and a trio that they can select from on any given night to uh, either give Jordan Bennington some rest or to get some more reps for Joel Hofer. So all of that will play into their decision making in terms of, you know, who plays going forward. Well, right around the corner is baseball season. And I know that you work with the St. Louis Cardinals as a reporter. So how are you feeling with baseball season about to begin? I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so happy to see all of these guys back from the World Baseball Classic. I know Adam Wainwright and, you know, Miles Michaelis, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato just lived out their dream with Team USA. They had an absolute blast. And then you got Lars Neufar, who went from a regional superstar to an international superstar in the span of two weeks. It was incredible. <laughs> he joined Team Japan and his mother, who is um, Japanese was so incredibly proud of him and all of his aunties, as he said, when he was <laughs> over there, just giving him so much love. And he was like, I barely understood what they were saying because I only speak some Japanese, but it was just so warm and welcoming for me to be able to go over there and, and see my family and obviously uh, to take home the championship. But Miles Michaelis was kidding the other day and he said, you know, if Lars knew what, what was good for him, he he knows not to bring that championship uh, <laughs> into the clubhouse, right? Because you've got 18 <laughs> other guys who went to the World Baseball Classic and didn't win it all. So it's just, a, it's a great locker room. I love working with these guys and I'm so excited for the season to start. What is the one thing that you're most looking forward to? Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker, Jordan Walker, Jordan Walker. He's a prospect <laughs> with the Cardinals. He has this incredible combo of elite speed and uh, power and watching it put together in, you know, a 20 year old kid and also, you know, seeing how much he's flourished in his time with the organization. I mean, there's a good chance that he just skips triple A altogether and goes from double A to being a member of the Cardinals opening day roster. And uh, if that's the case, then watch out because it's been his dream since he was a kid. Um, he's got the ability to, you know, compete with the best of them. And he's, uh, one of the more poised prospects that I've seen covering baseball for, you know, 10, 15 years. So I'm really excited to see him when I was asked to give a prediction recently on the future of Jordan Walker, I said, he's a future first ballot hall of famer. And I know that's a lot of pressure to put on a, (laughs) on a young guy, on a rookie, but Mm -hmm. he could live up to it a hundred percent. 
Well, have fun with baseball season beginning. And thank you so much, Alexa, for joining us today on DuckStream. Of course, Alexis. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Now it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the week in this case. So have a great weekend and make sure to join us on Saturday night for game seven of this eight game homestand. Just one more after Saturday night on Monday against the Colorado Avalanche. And while you're at it, enjoy some March Madness basketball this weekend. My Michigan State Spartans unfortunately lost to Kansas State on Thursday night just before the Ducks puck drop. But that is okay because they did better than I thought they might. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next week for more hockey talk right here on DuckStream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on DuckStream.